On today's podcast, we'll be talking to you about the beliefs, the importance of helping your clients shape positive beliefs, and also to match that positive belief set with a strategy for step-by-step action. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hello, this is Doug O'Brien. Welcome back to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. My guest today is me, actually. I'm just, it's just me, just me and you. So I'm just talking to you today. And I want to talk to you about beliefs. Many of you know that I teach a class on sleight of mouth. I wrote a book called The User's Guide to Sleight of Mouth. And it's all about beliefs and changing beliefs from something that is perhaps less useful or um, negative, you might even say, to a a more useful and more positive belief. There's a lot of talk about beliefs, a lot of talk about beliefs that is not necessarily completely accurate. And I don't know if I'll, you know, disavow any and all misconceptions about about, um, beliefs today. But I will do my best to, to talk about some of them, because as a coach, we need to be listening for our clients' beliefs and know a bit about how to help them take on better ones. In a way, that is a huge part of our business. I was going to say it's 90%. I don't have no idea about the percentage. I'm sure you are very well aware that most percentages are made up on the spot. I think the, the exact statistic is 94.2, or maybe it's 49.7. I don't know, but it's made up on the spot. Statistics, um, <laughs> I think that they're kind of like Mark Twain once said, there are three kinds of lies. There are lies, damned lies, and statistics. But um, in all seriousness now, folks, the, the thing about beliefs is this. They seem real. I've used the example in the classes before, so I, I have this, this idea fresh in my mind. Imagine, if you will, I'm holding an object like a tennis ball in the air, and I let go of it, and it drops down to the floor. Uh, could be anything. Could be a, a bowling ball fall to the floor with a great deal more thud than a tennis ball would, but they would fall at the same rate and speed, according, I believe, to Galileo, and um, or somebody, maybe it was Newton. Mm, Google it if you want to know. At any rate, um, they would fall to the ground. So if I let go of that ball, it will then fall to the ground. That if-then structure is the structure, at least partially, the structure of a belief, um, the complete belief structure, as again, probably you know, is three parts, if, then, and then means. Um, But the if, then is a very strong part of that. So if I let go, then it falls. A lot of beliefs have that same structure. I mean, all beliefs have that same structure. So they seem as real, as factual, as if I let go of the ball, then it will land on the ground. So if you call me bad names, then you are a bad person. You know, that kind of thing. If then structure is there. So it seems very real. Of course, 
course you're a bad person. You call me bad names. Why would you do that? If, if there's no other reason you could possibly do that. Um, that's what we think, right? It's cause effect. It's if then. And it isn't factual. It isn't the same thing at all. It is truly in the realm of belief. Now, the thing that's weird about beliefs is that if you go down deeply enough into belief structures, then, again, if then, if you go down deeply enough into belief structures, then you'll discover that that sometimes things that seem awfully factual may be belief-based as well. As an example, you can probably hear this. I'm knocking on the desk upon which this microphone is attached, so it might sound very loud indeed to you. This desk is solid wood. As you can probably tell from the sound of it. it uh, from my vantage point, it looks wooden. It is wooden from what every report I've been made. That is certainly what I paid for, um, a solid wood desk. It's, um, I believe, very highly polished um, bamboo. At any rate, it's a nice solid desk. But the interesting thing about solid materials is that if you go down to the molecular level, then you can look very deeply inside the grains of this wood and get down to the molecular level. It's, it's a very interesting structure. It's um, porous, you know, as solid as it seems, there's, there's space between those molecules and they're attached in funny sorts of ways. And there's, there's other things, there's little water bits in there, whatever. Then if you go down even further, if you focus down even further, you get down to the atomic level, right? Those molecules that make up the wood are made up of atoms. If you go down further than that, if you zone in even further, those atomic particles are made up of subatomic particles. And the curious thing about atomic particles is that they're mostly empty space. The nucleus of an atom is separated by the electro, electro, electrons and protons that circulate around it um, by mostly space. If, if, you, if, if the nucleus of the, of the atom was to say the size of a, a poppy seed, right? So you could really see the size of a poppy seed. Electrons would be like in, in I'm in upstate New York. Electrons would be like in New Jersey. I mean, they'd be miles away. It's, it's mostly empty space between these particular par particles of matter. So why then, if it's empty space, does it feel solid to us? It's because of the energy that binds those molecules, those particles together. It's the energy. So it's energy. It's not matter. <laughs> it's E equals MC squared. It's very remarkable when you get down to it, which is why some people speculate that all of this you know, reality stuff we're talking about here is like a simulation like the movie, The Matrix, you know, it's like a, a simulation. There are people that are really getting in really deep. I'm glad I don't do drugs anymore, honestly, if I listen to these some of the discussions. It's like, I can't quite handle it. Let me out of here. Um, it's, it's, it's deep stuff. There's a thing, a movie, I think it's called, um, oh, what's it called? A Glitch in the Matrix. I've taken a look at a little bit. A Glitch in the Matrix, I think is right. Um, you might want to Google that if you're interested at all. I'm not saying I recommend it. I'm just saying that I've heard of it. And it is uh, on that sort of theme that this is all kind of a, a game simulation, this reality of ours. Um, 
sometimes I wish that were true and we could switch games. Okay, this has been, we've been going along here far enough. Um, any rate, when a person comes to you for coaching, if they need you for coaching, and, you know, as we've talked about before, everybody needs a coach. I have a coach. Everyone should have a coach. If you believe in the, the greatness of coaching, then why don't you have one, right? It's It says something about the profession if you don't, in a way, doesn't it? So most people, almost all people, probably all people who come to coaching have some beliefs that are perfectly well functional. You know, they're great beliefs for them to have. And then there are other ones that are not so good. And maybe the things that are holding them back, and maybe it is exactly that, that you need to address with them in order to help them get to where they want to go in their life, in their business, in their relationships, through your coaching. So you need to be able to listen for and do something about the structure of the beliefs, the beliefs that they have, and then help them to lead it on somewhere else. Interestingly, I was once teaching this seminar about um, sleight of mouth with a friend of mine, uh, John uh, Jonathan Allfelt. I don't know if we were doing sleight of mouth exactly. We were somewhere, because he doesn't teach sleight of mouth. We, together we taught a thing called belief craft for a while, which sort of combined sleight of mouth with his knowledge engineering work. Belief craft is a very interesting kind of combination of those two things. Anyway, we were, we were doing a seminar together, certainly. Um, I think it's for a power team, like in Baltimore or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, around that time, a book had come out by, mm, I should have done the research on this before I started talking. A book had come out by Wayne Dyer. Thank you. Thank you, unconscious mind. Wayne Dyer came out with this book called, I believe, uh, it says, I, I'll, I'll see it when I believe it. I'll see it when I believe it, which is a play on the words of the old expression of I'll believe it when I see it, right? Well, I'll believe that when I see it. Um, this play on that is I'll, I'll see it when I believe it. So the idea is that if I believe it strongly enough, I will manifest it into reality. I believe that is his his kind of point and thesis here, is that you, you start from the center of beliefs. I will succeed. I can succeed. I'm worthy of succeeding. You believe it strongly enough, and then it becomes true. You see it, therefore, it becomes your reality. Um, there's there's a problem, I think, with that sort of thinking. There's a problem with that sort of magical thinking about stuff. There's a problem, I think, with the idea that, um, that it is beliefs in their entirety that um, cause great things to happen. Uh, it is true. There's a lot of truth to the things that are said in things like the secret or whatever, the, the law of attraction. There's certainly a lot of truth in that. And where it falls down a little bit is where people think, well, all I have to do is believe it strongly enough and it will happen. There is belief, yes. And then there is action, like uh, actual physical action, doing things about it. Quick story. I was once, it seems like all I ever do is teach sleight of mouth one <laughs> when you listen to these discussions. I was once teaching sleight of mouth or planning on it. I was, I was slated to teach a sleight of mouth class out somewhere in San Francisco area, Santa Cruz, maybe somewhere out there. And um, the, the fellow who had 
didn't hire me, but uh, said, would you do this? And I had said, yes, um, was, was putting on the seminars, was promoting it, et cetera. And I said, so like about, about a month before I called him and said, so how's it going? How, how's the registration moving along? And he said, oh, really, really well. I said, great. How many people have signed up? He said, well, there's only one person who has actually signed up, but we have a lot. I know it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be filled up. And I said, oh, that sounds great. How, what are you doing to get so much, you know, certainty in you? He said, well, my wife and I are meditating on it every day and we're really clearly visualizing a full room. And that's when I got really nervous about this particular training. I said, oh, well, that, that's good. That's nice. And I'm wondering if maybe you should put an ad out or um, make a flyer or somehow. So this is back before the Internet. This is quite a few years ago. Um, you know, some, some way of getting the word out in a printed matter or, you know, something. And so uh, an advertisement in the local newspaper, you know, because that was a thing back then. Um, so, yeah, there's more to um, manifesting than wishing and hoping that it will be so. They go hand in hand. You need, you need both. You do. I think you need both. I remember a long time ago, and this is even a longer time ago than I was just referring to. When I was a kid, I was probably 15 years old. And um, a friend of mine's dad, this is, was kind of cool for back then. This is oh, late 60s, early 70s. Not that I'm admitting that I'm that old, although I just admitted that I'm that old. Um, so it was that long ago. And, and um, this friend's dad, I was um, trying to open a jar of something. Let's just say mayonnaise. It might have been. Might have been mayonnaise. Anyway, I couldn't get the top off. And he said, oh, here's what you do. Just stop for a second. Just say to yourself really firmly like you believe it. I will take this top off. I can take this top off. I'm taking this top off. Say it. Say it like that. Say it like that. And I said, I will take this top. I can't take it. I will. You know, and then and then I said, okay, vroom, and top came right off. I mean, it was it was magic. It was just like came right off. So that sort of positive thinking does have an influence on the reality but notice there was also action taken i also took the top off physically it's both people need both so as a coach you want to be listening for their their beliefs about their self-worth their beliefs about what they're able to do what they can do etc cetera, etc cetera. listen for those beliefs and help them to do two things. One is to believe positively about their self-worth and about their value and they're good enough, et cetera, and help them to make a plan of action. Now, beliefs about self-worth are critical, right? We all know this. We all know this. There is that faction, that, uh, that factor that goes into, you know, manifesting your, 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 your goodness in the world. You know, if um, if Tony Robbins didn't believe that he was totally valuable and worth all that stuff, he wouldn't be the famous person that he is today. Um, you need to have that. You need to actually have that. And I could cite many of other people. I just saw his book. Somebody told me about his book, so it just sprang to mind. But it could be any any famous person. 
any anybody you know, Oprah, you know, anybody, politician, anybody, if they didn't believe that they had something of value, that they were worthy, that they had self-worth and they were, had lots of, to contribute, if they didn't believe that, we would not have heard of them. You can be lucky. You can be in situations where, you know, you get thrust into greatness. You know, the old saying of, you know, some people are born into greatness. Some people achieve greatness. Some people have greatness thrust upon them. You know that old saying? It's true. Sometimes maybe you can be in the right place at the right time and have greatness thrust upon you. Maybe you win a lottery ticket or whatever. That stuff happens. But by and large, you got to believe it. You got to believe that you are worth it. You are worthy and that you have stuff to offer in order to achieve that success. I think it's a must. You know, I know other people, by the way, that uh, agree with me in thinking that the the secret is not, um, you know, and that the, the law of attraction is, is not all there is to it. And, and they kind of make fun of it. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying it's, it doesn't stop there. So it is part of the picture, part of the equation. It just doesn't stop there. You start with that. So listen for their beliefs, the client's beliefs about self-worth and their value, et cetera. And then also say, now, based on that, what are you going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do? What's the second thing you're going to do? What's the third thing you're going to do? If you can help them map out an action plan, it's just baby steps, one, you know, one step at a time. Not necessarily baby steps, and maybe they're giant steps, but they're steps one step at a time to get from A to Z with a belief that they can do it and that they're worth doing it. Then you've got something going for you. And by the way, that is one of the things that I think is so magical about this, this um, uh, 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 vocation, this calling, this this field that we're in of coaching, I think is so magical. It is so effective. It is so effective because when you have those two things aligned, you know, so much can happen. So much can happen. But truly, if a person starts off from a place of no self-worth and no self-value, they may never have even considered the steps that they would take, all of the steps they would take to get from A all the way to Z. They might have thought, oh, I'd like to get to Z, but they think it's some sort of magical journey that suddenly they go all the way landing at Z from A. No, it's not that. It's A to B to C to D and all the steps along the way, all the steps along the way. And they would never get started on that journey if they didn't believe that they were worthy of it. So it is both those things together. That's the belief about it. And then the, the mapping out the steps and the strategy for doing that. And along the way, the great thing about coaching is that you stay with them, right? It's a long-term arrangement. My minimum for coaching people is three months. I won't coach somebody for less than three months. Most of my coaches stay around for six months to a year, some longer. I've had some coaches for more than more than a few years. Why? Because people are people. Things change. Life situations change. COVID happens. You know, lots of things change along the way. And people run into uh, roadblocks. People run into bumps along the road. People run into detours. They might need help navigating that. That's where you come in as the coach, right? So it's not just like, we'll fix you right up here, step right in. Okay, you're done, like getting a haircut. 
ain't quite that simple. Now, some things are. As a hypnotherapist, as an as a NLP practitioner, I've helped a lot of people with one-stop therapy, right? You, you go in, you help them quit smoking, boom. Help them quit biting their nails, boom. Help them get over a phobia of a dog or something, boom, right? Okay, yes. One-stop therapy or two-stop, three, three sessions, maybe something like that. Yeah, it works. It does. Hypnosis is amazing. It's been working for centuries. It does work. It's a real thing. Coaching, you know, people do use the word coaching kind of interchangeably with therapy these days. I understand why we've talked about that in other sessions and other, uh, you know, podcasts. And there is a difference. With coaching, it's an ongoing conversation. You meet every week. Meet when I say meet. I, I've never met some of my coaches. Literally, I've never met them. I've talked to them every week on the phone, telephone, not necessarily a Zoom call. But, uh, you know, this was prior, prior to Zoom being so ubiquitous um, that I, it's a telephone conversation. I've never met him, known him for years, never met him. So a weekly conversation that, you know, covers these things, beliefs, strategies, roadblocks, helping them to stay. Um, uh, uh, what's the word? When, when a person says they're going to do something to make sure that they actually do it. So you keep them, you know, what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I hate when this happens during a podcast where I, Suddenly, get a little brain fart uh, happening here. Where uh, um, <laughs> say I'm going to do it. So, as an example, I had a, a client recently who. Um, let me tell you a different story. I was watching the great uh, Z- Jeff Zag do a session, and I'm citing this only because it's 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 as far away from my own coaching practice as I can. This is an example of something I've done many times with coaches. And if you are listening to this and you've been a coach of mine, you might know um, that I'm not talking about you right now, but it will sound very familiar. It's a, it's a, it's a thing where you get leverage to get a person to do what they say they're going to do by a making it very easy for them to do it. So there's an ease process. We might've talked about that in the previous podcast, the E a S E four levels of things moving in the right direction four levels of goals, an easy goal an accessible goal, a stretch goal an extraordinary goal, different levels, but you do something every day towards your goal. And um, if they don't, then there are consequences. So <sighs> the consequences are like this, the great Jeff Zag, the, uh, the director of, um, the Milton H. Erickson Foundation in Phoenix, uh, Arizona, I was working with the equally great Carol Knack one time at a conference. She had volunteered to be a demo subject because she is a very, very smart woman and knows an opportunity when she sees one. So she'd, um, she'd volunteered to be a demo subject for this thing at this conference with Jeff Seig. And she has a certain obstacle in her life that she was running up against. And, um, now, Carol has a really interesting history. I hope she wouldn't mind my telling this to you since I've already mentioned her name. I should probably get the permission. Oh, jeepers. Um, I'll, I'll find out. If, uh, if you don't hear this, then you'll know that I didn't get permission. But Carol Neck um, was 
is a Holocaust survivor. She was a like five-year-old or something, 10-year-old kid back in, um, not Denmark, but somewhere over there, um, Belgium, I think, and escaped and got away with her parents to first Spain, I think, and then got on a boat and went to Peru or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, she was going to be doing something and Jeff had wanted her to make sure that she did certain actions on a regular basis. And um, he said, well, that's fine. And you can do this every day, every week Um, to a certain extent. You don't have to do it every single day, but four times a day, four times a week. I mean, and, and, but if you don't, if you don't, then you've got to write a check and mail it to the American Nazi party. So what he wanted her to do is to make out three envelopes with three checks in it, pre-addressed to the American Nazi party. And he gave her the address for that. And he said, here are some stamps. Here are some envelopes. And write out these, these checks. Carry them with you in your purse. And if you don't do what we've said you're going to do, that you've agreed to do, that you want to do, that you know would be good for you to do. And if you don't, then you're going to take check one and put it in the mail. And you're going to make a contribution to the American Nazi Party, which is a real thing then, and it is a real thing now. Um, so this, as you can imagine, was something that Carol really did not want to do. <laughs> you know, this would be, uh, you know, it's not like a punishment. She's not being spanked or something like that, but but it's it's a punishment, right? So she would make a contribution to this abhorrent horrible group that people that, you know, killed many of her people, right? So this became a, a, a consequence to make sure she stayed on the path of doing the things that she wanted to do. So what we do as coaches is we find out strategies to help our clients stay doing what they say that they're going to do. I have done similar things with clients of mine in the past where they would make you know, contributions to a particular political party or the opposite political party that they are supporting, um, the opposite presidential candidate from whom they're to whom they're supporting. Um, so they would have those checks at the ready and they would mail them if they didn't, you know, accomplish what they said they were going to accomplish. So when we do that for our clients as a coach, when we help them to overcome limiting beliefs, create better, stronger beliefs about their self-worth, et cetera, and then have an action plan to go simultaneously along with their belief, then we're going to create magic. And if you can help them along the way, when they get stuck along the way to have these incentives, you know, you get a, a reward if you do and possible a little bit of a, you know, punishment if you don't, that pleasure pain thing, then we've got magic happening. So that's all I'm going to say about this today. But I think it's, I think it's personally, I think it's good to have a sort of simple idea in your mind that is really there's two things you need to do as a coach. There's to have a belief system, have, have your, your clients enjoy a positive belief system that lets them know that they can do anything if they have the right strategy, that they're worth trying, they're worth doing, they're worth succeeding. And then lay out a strategy that they can do step by step by step along the way to accomplish what they're going. When you have those two things in order, it's all you really need to ever have in your, uh, in your arsenal of coaching techniques. So go get them. Have fun. Thanks for listening. 
Well, that does it for another episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed having you here. Hey, if you want more information about Sleight of Mouth, you can find it at EssentialCoachingSkills.com, or you might even check out SleightofMouth.org. That's a nice website, too. Thanks. Stay safe. Stay curious. <laughs>